Hey everybody, this is Mark from the Russick Outlook welcoming you to a very special broadcast. I recently sat down with two other Christian content providers, Stephen Lauterbach of Despite Popular Belief and uh, Brian Del Turco of Jesus Smart Podcast, and we decided to do a three-way crossover event. I've recently become friends with them. I've appeared on their program over the last year or so, and we decided to hone in on what I've been presenting lately, which is as in the days of Noah, referring to what will the days be like upon Jesus' return. As many of you know that uh, this was cited in, in Matthew as, as well as Luke and, and Mark. But what, interestingly enough, I'll, I'll put it this way, we wound up, because of the, the timing of this, it was shortly, maybe a few days after the decision for Roe v. Wade came down. So we wound up naturally talking about that as well as the culture and, and what's happening in, in our nation, in America, as well as around the world, uh, and, and how that may line up through the lens of Scripture. And looking back at this without realizing it, I believe that there was a tapestry that was woven there concerning as in the days of Noah, because even though we were talking about abortion and Roe v. Wade and the laws and then getting into the culture's reaction to it, 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 it kind of, it, it lined up, in my opinion, with some things that we can refer to or look at as potentially as in the days of Noah. So hopefully you'll enjoy this. I would ask if you don't mind, please hit the like and the subscribe button, whatever platform you're on, as well as uh, uh, ring the bell. It helps us get up there in the algorithms and, and reaching the audiences because inevitably, I've said this all the time, I am personally looking to get at the heart of truth no matter where it lies. I'll just close, ask if you wouldn't mind, uh, join our email list, just go to therusticoutlook.com and sign up. Uh, we'll just notify you of new events, new things that are happening, things like this. And I would also ask, go visit Jesus Smart and, and uh, Despite Popular Belief. These are just wonderful programs, wonderful gentlemen uh, who come at things from a different perspective, and I really think you'll uh, 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 enjoy their approach, I'll put it that way. So let me get into this. This will be a two-part series. I'm, I'm going to now introduce you to part one, and I'll give you a little bit of a closing message at the end of it. Thanks very much. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Despite Popular Belief. This is a Another special episode because it is a crossover episode with several content creators, ones that you are familiar with, hopefully, but if you don't know these creators, uh, this would be a cool introduction for you guys to get to know. Uh, but we have with us today Brian Del Turco from Jesus Smart the Podcast, and we have Mark Russick from the Russick Outlook, and then joining us later, I believe JCL Felto may jump in a little bit uh, depending on how his kid's schedule is but he is part of writer's lens and narrative wars uh so um brian and mark welcome back to the show again yeah it's great to synergize with you guys tonight it's awesome to be here yeah so i'm uh, very excited to get this thing going i think the last time we did a crossover was probably this past christmas um but uh mark is new to the collaboration and so i can't wait to get into this we got a really cool topic today uh, we're going to be discussing, uh, as in the days of Noah, that phrase. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, we made a little bit of history recently in the past couple of days uh, that I think is kind of important to talk about. Maybe I can uh, pass the wand over to uh, over to you, Mark uh, and Brian, to talk about that. Yeah, it's it, it, it's just incredible. And, of course, you're referring to the overturn of, of the decision of Roe v. Wade. 50 years of abortion, 
you know, approximately 63 to 65 million babies in this country uh, uh, died under this law. And, and to see it happen, and, you know, I, I'm just in awe of the Lord, and, and I've said this recently, and I kind of delved a little bit deeply. I'm hoping the church and Christians look at this and understand, I believe personally, that this is God's timing, and that we are presented with unique opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world that, you know, these are things that we've been praying for, the church has been praying for. There are many people who have put in the sweat uh, of, of their brow, many organizations, uh, many women's organizations have been at the forefront of, of, of this. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we ride the wings of prayers and work and energy of so many people, and yeah. God is faithful, and I can't help but think, you know, why now? And, and what is it? And of course, nothing takes the Lord by surprise in his timing. So I'm confident in that. And I'm excited to see uh, not only so many, you know, we're really looking at a potential of millions of lives that will be saved as a result of this. And it happened like that. Yeah. It happened in a moment's time. You know, June 23rd, that law was in effect. June 24th, boom. You have 22 states that have trigger laws in place that are ready to uh, either ban abortion or limit abortion, depending upon uh, the terms or the amount of pregnancy uh, that the women the women are showing or you know their state. So I, I am super super grateful, excited, and you know I and, you know I want to turn this over to Brian, but I just I want to encourage people to become educated and to be willing to engage with people who may be for abortion. It's our opportunity to not only show the love of Jesus, but let's go in there. Let's be educated. Science has changed a lot over the last 50 years from when this uh, law first came into be. We know the anatomy uh, of the child in the womb. We've seen all the pictures. We've seen all the, um, the, the differences of the last 10, 15, 20 years. So, you know, we know personally because we, we, you know, we understand our relationship with Jesus, but others may not. Right. And, and I think it's our opportunity to kind of stand up and, and, and as I said, be the hands and feet of God yeah. um, as we're supposed to, as the body of Christ. So I'll just shut up and let Brian, <laughs> you guys take over. Sorry. About that. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to with you, with you gentlemen. It, it's, it seems like a suddenly, but usually when it feels like a suddenly it's on the long end of a lot of prayer and even good works and that i'm so proud i'm my like kingdom proud of the pro-life movement mm -hmm. over these decades because it has been a movement of prayer and it's been a movement of good works you know i hear some commentary from the other side saying well now we'll really see how pro-life they are are they going to take care of women are they going to take care of babies ah. Well, the pro-life movement's actually been doing that for decades, mm -hmm. you know, for decades, adoption and foster care and crisis pregnancy centers and just, just, you know, education, all of it. So um, it is, it is an opportunity to deepen our witness and to really um, continue to bring to the nation a, um, almost like an apologetic for life, the value of life and how God thinks about life. And, you know, guys, I was thinking recently out of Psalm 139, where David says that, you know, even as I was in the womb, you saw my unformed substance. Mm. 
you know, we have the technology today to look into the womb with, you know, a lot of high resolution and, and, and see that baby even much more than like back in the seventies and eighties. But the Bible says that God saw his unformed substance. And even before he was born, all the days that were ordained for him. And the thought that came to me is that the womb, I hope this is not offensive to any listeners, but the second a human being is conceived in the womb, it becomes the sanctuary of God. Hmm. The womb becomes almost a domain where God is now creatively at work. And, um, you know, the message is, well, it's my body, but there's another body. And even beyond that, there's a creator at work in that womb. Mm -hmm. And to penetrate that process and violate it and do violence to it, I, again, I hope it's not offensive, but it's an egregious event, you know. Uh, I really can't think of anything more violent, actually, than that. And so it's a wonderful time. I, I, I just I'm I'm excited about it. How about you, Stephen? What are your uh, thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Of course, I, I agree with with both of you. I'm, I'm excited that this this has happened. Um, there's a couple of things that I noticed uh, cautiously from from the sidelines, I guess. And that's uh, I've noticed some friends and family, uh, some friends and family that disagree with this value uh, and they would call themselves pro-choice. They have gone to social media and essentially said, um, if you support the pro-life movement, go ahead and delete me now. I've seen it over and over and over again, name-calling, lots of rage and anger. And they're saying it to their own family members. Wow. And that's caused, well, I know at least for myself and a couple of my friends who I've spoken to personally, uh, it, it's caused a little bit of anger in me. Like, how how can you be, how can you have like a discrimination like that? like to that level that that's the hill that you want to die on to cut me out of your life. But then I, I noticed that like, if, if my first reaction to that is anger, what's wrong with me? Because really that should cause us to grieve. Uh, it should cause us to feel sorrow that, that people want to die on that hill, that they mm. are willing to cut their family members out of their life because, uh, they support this horrifying, this horrifying ritual. Um, at, I don't have to describe this to you. I mean, you guys, you guys feel the same. It's this should grieve us, but in the same manner too. While people may be threatening to cut us out of their lives over this, we should be ready with open arms to welcome people like that back. Uh, if if they end up having a change of heart, we don't have to say, "See, I told you so." But like, just humbly welcome them back. Don't gotta you know shove it down their throat or anything, and just. I don't know. Just got to remember to have that gentle reaction. Sure. Uh, I've been reminding yeah. myself of that at least. So, you know, I, I would also point out the fact that this is a court case mm -hmm. that's following the Constitution. Now, as much as the three of us may be glad that abortion will be limited in many states, if not eliminated. The fact of the matter is, if you want an abortion, you will still be able to get one. Yeah. Roughly half the country, if not more, um, will still allow that. So some of the uh, the messaging, if you will, 
uh, it, it, you know, they're trying to take hold of it. They're trying to cause division. They're co- trying to cause strife. And the reality of, uh, of it is, you know, we need to be able to say, hey, this is, this is a court case. This is the law. This is the ruling that came down. And, you know, more often than not, we may not always agree with a ruling on a court case, but the foundation and the staple of this country is our judicial process. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and it's what we have. So, you know, we, just as we needed to abide by the fact that when abortion was a federally uh, 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 federal law, uh, you know, across this nation. Yeah. You know, we, we need to be able to have civil discourse, civil, dis, you know, yeah. um, conversations, much like you said. But the thing that that strikes me and, and I, I found this in Justice Alito's closing opinion that we're at a point where what I would refer to, and he referred to this as in the word arrogate in, in his closing argument that uh, Roe v. Roe arrogated the, the, the decision. And what that is, is it means to be prideful, to be um, uh, uh, one-upsman, if, if you will. And I think that's the point of where, where we're at in this country, that we're in a state of cultural Marxism. And by this, I mean, if the left and others will say, this is the opinion that you need to have, this is right, you're wrong, end of subject. What they've done is they've eliminated all civil discourse, they've eliminated free speech, mm-hmm. they've eliminated the, the exchange of ideas and, 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 and thoughts. And sadly, that used to be the basis of the Liberal Party, that they would want less government, that they would want you to engage in conversation. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of what I think we need to be able to fight for. And, and it's not always going to be easy. And we're not going to win, you know, every argument. We don't have to get into a heated discussion. But I think we're at an advantage. But by this, I, I mean, if we go into a discussion prayerfully, seeking Holy Spirit, asking for his words, asking for his prompting, um, and, and be content if we put our best foot forward, make the decision the argument or the discussion and leave the rest to Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. because ultimately that's what we need to do. And, and, and you know, it's not going to be easy and nothing is that's, that's worth it or worth the fight for the Lord. Right. But if he's with you, who can be against you? Yeah, amen. So, I, you know, I, I just say we have a stack deck in the sense that, we have the Lord, we have righteousness, mm. and it's not a matter of, you know, we, we need to be as tolerant as we can, but also, you know, explain to people, hey, this is what happened. This is the law. It's it's not federally mandated. It's up to the states. The law is now, you know, the, the, the power is in your vote. The yeah. power goes back to the state, which is what the Constitution originally laid out. So, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, there's, um, there's a real sense in which this is a state's rights decision, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is an opportunity. It's like one big giant civics lesson. And of course, the illiteracy of civics in our country is horrible. You know, many people do not even understand basic American civics and how our government works. And of course, they've been products of, you know, educational experiences, which have totally um been insufficient for that and even polluting their thinking about that. Yeah, it's a return to states' rights. And even like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was a liberal justice, recently deceased, 
she said the 73 decision was horrible as a matter of constitutional law. It was a horrible decision, and many other liberal constitutional scholars have said the same. So there, there's there's that too, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not just a religious issue, but it's it, it's a terrible um, constitutional law issue, mm-hmm. and 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 federalism, states' rights, and our 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 framers, their genius included the idea that each state was an experiment. You know, each state was a laboratory on all kinds of issues, economic and issues like this. And so, you know, let the cream come to the top. You know what I mean? Yep. Let the states compete. It's a defense against evil. It's a defense against centralized control. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of the American federalism sy- system. We're close here to Independence Day when we're recording this, what is it, June 29th? Mm-hmm. So July 4th is American Independence Day, but it's the beauty of federalism. Uh, it's, it's the genius of it. Yeah. Yeah, we're making hit. Well, I mean, we're not making history, of, but we're living through this. This is incredible. Yeah, a country, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And I hope this isn't too crude of a transition, but the topic uh, that we're talking about today has somewhat to do with what we're seeing, or at least the debate um, of, you know, pro-life, pro-choice. Absolutely. Uh, There are more violent words uh, that people use to uh, describe those. But when we were brainstorming what to do for this collaboration today, uh, Mark had the idea uh, to discuss, as in the days of Noah, he's done lots of research from a lot of different angles about this. So, Mark, could you tell us, like, what are we talking about when we say, as in the days of Noah, where does that come from? What do you mean? Well, you know, Jesus is referring, number one, going back to Genesis, because he is really referencing uh, Moses in the book of Genesis and and the account of uh, from from Adam on up to Noah and and the floods. And I'm Sure, if you, you know, we don't need to go down that road for your audience. We all know about, you know, Adam's fall and, and what happened. But, you know, I think it's, it's, it's responsible for Christians to shift the paradigm and try to understand when Jesus is talking about the days of Noah, well, what were the days of Noah like? And really what you have to do, what I have to do is look at, what made the Lord so angry that he was going to destroy the entire world, mm-hmm. but for uh, um, the, the, you know, Noah and, and, and his wife and family and the, and the kids and the wives, eight people, that he was destroying everything. Mm-hmm. And, and think about the magnitude of, of what could, what, what was there at that time. And, Genesis alludes to that, and there are several other books, and we've talked about this before, and Enoch, the book of Enoch, uh, goes a lot into this, and and Jasher and and whatnot, and I'll just say right off the bat, you know, we don't believe that these books are the Word of God, but, you know, we've done studies where it backs up scripturally uh, one book to another. It doesn't contradict the Word of God, I'll put it that way, Um, and, and... you know, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but, you know, I will say that there's a lot of validity to the book of Enoch. And, and you know, if, if time allows, we you know, maybe we can go there. So what I want to do is look at 
what what were those days like and, and in doing so and for some people you know in this audience i don't know whether they know this or not and and i think you have to look at genesis one two and three because there is an awful lot of information that's in there and there's an awful lot of, of of time that's in there so i want to see if i could I, I tried to have something ready on that. So I just, and it's important, so bear with me to kind of set this up. So the word says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That means God created, it's perfect. It's made the way God wanted it. It's beautiful. There's no, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't create darkness. And then the second verse says, now the earth was unformed and void. It's starting with now, which means there was something before that. And it says, unformed and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God. So, and, every time you see that, something uh, uh, happens before that. Mm -hmm. So, from the beginning where God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes on in other books, in, in Job, and it says the morning stars were there and all the angels, and they celebrated and they sung for joy, which means Lucifer before the fall. Everybody was there when the earth was made. And then you had the fall of Lucifer, which is what verse 2 is alluding to. So now sin has, has you know, uh, entered. And then you go to verse 3, and it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then that starts the creation process. So we don't know what amount of time and what happened on the earth from verse one to verse three. And you have to, to me, this is the way I look at it. You have to start with, okay, Lucifer has fallen from heaven. He's fallen from grace. Then God creates man. Now man is made a little lower than the angels. Adam is perfect. Adam is absolutely perfect the way God created him incredibly intelligent mentally spiritually physically you know there's 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 all these things you can point to then sin entered the world then this king keys to the kingdom so to speak is handed over to lucifer we know from scripture lucifer wants to be worshiped and he wants he's about the kingdoms because if you remember when jesus was tempted in the desert he said if you bow to me and you worship me i will give you these kingdoms so he showed him something supernatural. And I believe a lot of these kingdoms were created before the flood. That And that, that's kind of where you go into getting into the Nephilim and whatnot. So the book of Enoch states, and, and, and it's considered, you know, readily accepted by scholars everywhere, that there was 200 angels, fallen angels, that what the the, uh, the book of Genesis describes as they left their habitation and they came into the daughters of men. They married the daughters of men. They found them attractive and they, and they came in and they had children, which is now you're, you're, you're uh, interlacing an angelic DNA to a human DNA. And that's where you get these hybrid freaks. So you've created this over time, over approximately a thousand years uh, of, of mutations, of one you know genetic mutation after another. We're ju we just lived through two years of mutations with COVID. Mm. Picture a thousand years on the earth, everywhere, everything it touches. They were not, and again, all creatures were destroyed in the flood. That meant the the mammals, the 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 birds of the air. 
uh, the beasts, the cattle. Everything was tainted because we know that these angelic beasts were destroying creation. They were creating their kingdoms in their way. And we have these megalithic structures to point to the pyramids, uh, uh, Stonehenge, Easter Island, you know, these megalithic structures that are hundreds of tons in weight and, and artistically built and archaeologically sound. And I could go on and on. So what happened there? And, and that's kind of where I wanted to look at what was the what was life back then? What what exactly happened? And because Jesus is saying, so shall it be as in the days of Noah. It goes on to say they were eating and drinking and carrying on as normal, meaning life is going on. But there is something deep and nefarious that that is happening. Mm -hmm. And I believe we're starting to see that manifest itself today in the earth. We're not at that point yet. Uh, but that's kind of where I say we need to, to look at that because the culture will tell you the, the earth is, you know, billions of years old, that we were cavemen. We were, and you know, at one point we were dumb and, and this and that. We only came of age somewhere around 3500 B.C., you know, where, where you have the first empire. So th that's a lie. You've been fed. You, the world has been fed a lie. We're not Barney Rubble and Fred Flintstone. We, right. you know, we never were. And if you look at the architecture of these buildings back in this time, and you look at the Bible, we are created by God. We are magnificent species, not now with sin in us, and that's why we need the blood of Jesus. But we need to kind of flip the script because what the world has been taught is that we're an accident. And and if you just look at basic science, it's really telling you. The three of us here are talking on this microphone, but our ancestors are rocks. Yeah. Makes no sense at all. But if you really want to break it down, that, that that's the way it is. So that's kind of the framework of, of, of what I'm thinking to set up. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Well, yeah, I this like between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, I know that's a separate issue from Noah's flood. Perhaps it was a flood before Noah's flood. There was one. If what Mark is saying is true, and I'm, I'm probably 80-20 or 90-10 agreeing with Mark that there is an indeterminate amount of time between verses 1 and 2 and Genesis, or Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 for a couple of reasons. I'm not a great expert on this, but one of the reasons is every time we see God create something, there's design to it and beauty. Mm -hmm. And so what we see in verse 2 doesn't look like what God cre creates, you know. Hebrew phrase, I think it's tohu vabohu. It means like a barren wasteland, sterile. It's, it's um, you know, it's chaotic. There's no design to it. It's uninhabitable. And um, in Isaiah 45, 18, it says, God did not create the earth in vain. And it uses one or both of those Hebrew words there. But he, but he did create it to be inhabited. It says that in Isaiah 45, 18. There's also a set of verses in Jeremiah 1 where Jeremiah seems to be taken back in time, and he, and he seems to be describing what we see in Genesis 1-2 as a picture of the judgment and devastation that's going to come on Judah that Jeremiah is prophesying about. So there is that between verses 1 and 2. Again, I'm, I'm like 80-20-90-10 on that. I've always felt that way. I, I know it's controversial in theological circles. I know there's debate on it. 
And I'll throw in a real quick analogy on to because you brought up tohu vabohu. Yeah. I heard this as a definition and I thought it was awesome. Uh, a minister was was teaching on this and you know where, where the earth was was unformed in darkness and she brought up tohu vabohu. And a mm -hmm. German woman had said, I know what that means. The Yiddish women taught us this and they described it as you make up and you clean your house and your house is completely perfect. And your teenager comes into his room or her room and destroys it. And she said that the people would come in and say, this room is tohu babohu. <laughs> yeah. So this would be a Hebrew phrase that's used just in everyday life to describe something like that. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. That's, that, that's how she, she went. Yeah. And so for those who really want to get nerdy about it and drill on, drill into it and, and get some Hebrew word studies, you can do that. But yeah, you got that in Genesis 1-2. You got, you know, the Bible interprets the Bible, right? I think we believe that as sort of a hermeneutic. So like, I, if you look at Isaiah 45-18, look at those verses in Jeremiah 4, and just think about what do we know of God? He's a God of purpose, design, and beauty. Unless right. you're going to believe that God created the heavens and the earth, but he, he created it like on a gradient, and he just started out with some kind of a a devastated state and just began to iterate it. I think it's more likely that, that what we see there is that God began to recreate and restore because something horrible happened. Yeah. And I, I there's, we're talking about meanings of words um, right there <clears throat> in Genesis one, where it says that the spirit was hovering over the deep. Um, the word hovering that we use in our crude English version was actually brooding over the deep and brooding yeah. was translated as like what a mother bird would do to protect yeah. her eggs or That's her right. young as she broods over them. And it's, it's a beautiful image because if you think of the spirit hovering over this void like that, it is a preparation, sure. a preparation, um, a, a protection over a preparation. It's just like when you get that visual in there, it, it changes the story a little bit. It makes it more intimate. I, yeah. I love it. It's, I mean, God's word's alive, man. This is, this stuff is so cool. <laughs> it's like, it. a, it's, it's actually something of a reproductive term, isn't it, Mark? Um, for brooding yep. and hovering over the earth. And just like Stephen said, like, like a mother bird would, would brood or, or vibrate or fertilize or over her nest. Mm -hmm. And, and then you have the, and then you have God turning the lights on, and we know it, it. It really could not have been the sun and the moon because that came on day four. Yep. He's probably he's probably turning his glory on over this mess, just radiating his Shekinah light over it, and he's beginning exactly. a recreative process. Um, and uh, see, God always wins. That's the message here. No matter if Lucifer rebels or later on Adam rebels or. If these angels come down in Genesis 6, 1 to 4, and try to defile the bloodline, God always wins. He always comes back with something, and he's a winner. He's never lost, and he never will, and, and that's who we serve. Man. So, and, and, and that means we win. That's right. right. That's right. Thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph, right, is, is, yeah. is the way Paul put it. Now, Brian, you, yeah. you mentioned real quickly, you breezed right over it. You're talking about a, blood a bloodline. What are you talking yeah. about? Well, Mark has helped us with this. He helped us on, on my podcast back in January is the what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, where God immediately shows up. Adam and Eve fall. Satan deceives Eve. She influences Adam. They both are deceived. They both fall. 
the glory lifts off of them. Their, their ability to exercise dominion lifts with that. It's handed over to Satan, really. He tells Jesus in the wilderness, it's been handed over to me. And, you know, in the wilderness temptation. And, 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 and Jesus didn't challenge him on that. The only thing Jesus did in the wilderness temptation was, I'm going to get it back, but not by worshiping you. Mm. You know, he is the last Adam. But, yeah, so God speaks to the serpent and says, you know, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his hill but the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. And, and that's a messianic prophecy mm-hmm. that the son of God is going to come and crush his head. So right there, it's, it's like a sentence of eternal damnation and death that God issued against him. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll let Mark go from here, but you can see the logic then of, okay, there's a bloodline, there's a Messiah coming. Is Satan going to just watch that happen? Take it away, Mark. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you, 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 you hit right on it. And, you know, the Bible is filled with accords of, uh, of, of Satan trying to attack the bloodline leading up to the Messiah. You can think about, you know, the Egyptians, and, you know, killing the, you know, the younger boys leading up to the birth of Jesus and Herod trying to kill him and him trying yeah. to find Jesus through the Magi trying to trick them. Uh, there's, I think, somewhere between 12, 10 to 12 accounts of, of Satan attempting to uh, destroy the bloodline. And I would say sure. that that's where the, the Nephilim come in, because, you know, to your point, that's the very first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, where, where the Lord gives Satan yep. his death sentence. And from that point on, we see that, you know, the, the, this... Um, this falling, uh, the fallen angels trying to, and, 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 and marry women and have these Nephilim, these giants, these crossbreeds. And the Bible is littered with, with these accounts, destroying or attempting to destroy, you know, you can go back to Abraham, Abraham's journey through, through Israel, going through all of these different uh, Nephilim camps and giant camps of giants. And, you know, you remember, uh, the story of Joshua and Caleb and, and he go for Moses and he went to spy on the land and he came back and he said, they're as big as giants and we are as grasshoppers in their sight. So think about a grasshopper and, and, and think about, you know, the, the, this giant. But, but my point is, it was always about getting to the seed of the woman. It was always about stopping the Messiah and then afterwards continuing on and trying to stop the Hebrews, trying to stop the Jewish race. You can go, you know, as recently as World War II with Hitler trying to, and and all of the anti-Semitism today. This is satanically induced, uh, you know, this vile hatred of these people who have done nothing and are are clearly blessed by God beyond comparison. Uh, But that goes back to the degree of the war that we're in and we need to remind ourselves this is a war so when i go back to looking at what were the days of noah satan and his angels were at war with the lord you know and and it started from it started at babel uh and 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 worked its way up and you know we are what's being hunted because you know we are the apple or you know it says israel but i mean you know what i mean where we, we've been created, we're blessed by God, we're, we're ordained, we're a royal priesthood, we have the blood of Jesus. His only son 
thought so much of the three of us and the people listening that he went to the cross and died for us. That's how special we are. And that's the prize that, that Satan is trying to take down. And, and this is a real war. And if you go back to the degree of what he was doing in the days of Noah, Jesus said he's, it's coming around again mm -hmm. because there's nothing new under the sun. And we know that, you know, history has a way of repeating itself. It may look a little bit differently, but, you know, at its foundation, Satan wants to be worshipped. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be, you know, the, the, the grand poobah. You know, you go you go back to Isaiah and, uh, and Ezekiel where, you know, he walked on the mountain with God and he said, I want to be like the most high. He wanted to be, you know, he wanted to be worshipped. Everything we see, if you go back to these uh, megalithic structures, the temples that were built, they were, you know, these men were worshiping these demons, these mm. the, these giants. Right. So it, it's it's mm. a long, convoluted way of getting there. But uh, you know, my point is, we need to kind of look at history through the lens of scripture rather than history through the lens of Darwin. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't want to be, I don't want people to accuse me of wearing a tinfoil hat or something, you know, it's totally against the way I am, you know, please don't try to put a tinfoil hat on me, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we have to be honest about this stuff, and, and um, you know, you read a passage like 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says the last days will be perilous, and a, and a list this descriptors of the last days, and even the word perilous means like brutal and savage and 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 some of the descriptors in the last days are like unloving or without natural affection you think about abortion mm. you think about the powerful natural instinct of of a woman at the baseline to be a nurturer and and, and, a, and a caregiver and a birther mm -hmm. of a baby and yet there can be such a jadedness and callousness and a savageness and a brutality you know I saw I saw a picture of one woman that this was several weeks ago before the decision, but at a, at a pro-abortion. This is a woman. This is a beautiful woman. I mean, she was an attractive woman. She didn't look like some kind of a, you know, I mean, this was a woman and she has a placard and she's holding it up. And, and her placard says that fetuses are good snacks. I saw that. Did you see that? I mean, I did. I did. in one sense, I, I, I'm thinking. What do you mean, and what is it that would bring you to a place where you would put that phrase on a placard and go public with it, that fetuses are good? There's a brutality and a lack. Anyway, these are signs of the last days, and according to Paul in 2 Timothy 3, brutal, savage times. Absolutely. And, you know, I would just go to your point, how bad it will be. Jesus said he has to put a stop, paraphrasing, but he has to put a stop to it because no flesh would survive, mm. meaning the, the tribulation. That's how bad it would be. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that's the point, you know, that, that we're getting at. And I would just say that when the law, kind of going back to uh, Roe v. Wade, when the law was written, it was supposed to be for exceptions, for extreme circumstances, for, uh, you know, very carefully thought out uh, scenarios. And you can see the influence of Satan in this culture to the point where, you know, we're now saying that the baby can be born and you can still take its life, still call it abortion. So that's the point that this society has gotten to. And that's in the last couple of years. 
I saw a, a, a situation just talking about how vile people have gotten. Uh, there was protests in front of a church and they mocked the scene where they dressed someone up to be like the Virgin Mary and they had an abortion of Jesus. So then what they were saying, wow. we're to abort Jesus. See, it's just like Herod in the Gospels who tried to kill Jesus, right? Yeah. It's just it's just like the dragon in Revelation 12 that's right there between the legs of the woman trying to devour the man-child Christ coming forth. Um, you know, it's the same demonic. I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to go out and say something, I, I guess, radical. And, and I hope it's not offensive to a listener, but. It's that same demon spirit. That wants to kill Christ. It's a it's like a cousin spirit or the same demonic energy in abortion. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and you're right, Mark. I mean, it, you know, at first, maybe it was like the life of the mother or if there was a tremendous complication with the child in the womb, maybe. Um, I mean, just so. And, but those statistics today are so they're way less than one percent. They're like in the they're like in the hundreds. They're like seven one hundredths of one percent, something like that. I just saw some numbers recently. Yep. And so to use it as an apologetic for abortion just is, is it, it doesn't work. Overwhelmingly, over 90s, whatever, six, seven percent, it's just a last firewall of birth control or, or convenience or, or something like that. Yep. Um, but it's it's a it's a spiritual war. Is that offensive, guys? I hope nobody's offended. <laughs> it is. But, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers yeah. and principalities and princes of the air. You know, this it, it's the real deal. And then I want to think whenever you see some some radical person just like losing it. I, I saw one person. He was being challenged and. This guy nearly looked like he was manifesting a demon. His voice changed. The whole energy of his face changed the aura around him changed as he just was saying, yes, I want to kill babies. He's a man saying this. And um, anyway, perilous times, brutal. My Lord, we got to be prayed up, don't we? Amen. <laughs> yeah. Got to be, got to be word up, prayed up. We got to be in right relationship with others in the body. We got to be, clean there's power in being clean this is not a time for compromise I'm, I'm, i mean we it's it's going to get ugly before the lord comes thank you so much for joining i hope you appreciated their time and insight as much as i did uh, i look forward to seeing you in part two of this two-part presentation i would also remind you please visit jesus smart podcast and despite popular belief for more information on on brian and stephen Uh, Again, I want to just thank you. If you have questions or comments, please, by all means, don't hesitate. Email russickoutlook at gmail.com. I'll be happy to provide any answers that I can. Questions, comments, all the platforms are welcome. No matter whether you agree or disagree, it's all good. It always is. So again, I want to thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Russick Outlook. And remember, as always, just my opinion.